and welcome to Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. I am one of two Hannahs, Hannah Hart. And I'm Hannah Gild. And today, we're going to talk about the subject of toxic masculinity. Now, there is a bit of some content warning here. Uh, we're going to be talking about societal gender expectations in this episode, and we want to confirm that we do believe here that gender is a part of a social construct and that there are not only two genders out there. So these ideas that we have about masculinity and femininity are, as I said, social constructs, and gender expression is personal to everyone. We will also be joined by one of our very, very close friends, one of my oldest friends, special guest and certified man, Hannibal Diaz. Enjoy. Hello, my buddy. Hello, my pal. Hello, my pals. It's so good Hello, to my see buddies. You. Yes, hey. um, Hannibal, welcome to Analyze This. It is such an honor to have you here. I just want to say, I've met a lot of men in my life, and out of all of them, there's like four that I like, and you're on the list. Thank so. you. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I really appreciate that. I've yeah. always wanted confirmation that I've made your list, and I finally have it, so this is a pretty big day for me. <laughs> this is a pretty big day. It's, it's also a really big day because we have we have like increased the power of Hanning by a whole oh, uh, one fold, my. right? Because we have Hannah, Hannah, yeah. and Hannibal. Yes, we've like opened a portal to another dimension. And yeah. Hannibal, you are also at work in podcastery. I do. Yeah, I am a podcast writer primarily for the show um, American Scandal. I almost forgot the title of my own show for a second, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's called American Scandal, and it's a dramatization of historical events, and uh, it's a really fun, creative endeavor. I enjoy it, and I oh, hope man, other people can that's... enjoy it too if they can discover it. Yeah, that sounds so fun to do, like writing your own historical fiction. Like, what a great treat because you get to see. Oh, good. Here's the outline. The events have already mm -hmm. happened, but then you get to guess the seedy underbelly of why. Exactly, oh, yeah. and it's really satisfying to do that. To just give voice to these, you know, paragraphs of historical data, and yeah, I love it. It's a really fun job. That's awesome, Yay. and also so impressive because oh, writing thanks. is so hard. I just started rereading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, and yeah. um, I'm just so impressed with anyone who can write anything. <laughs> now, our us three, us three Hannahs, we all we all go all the way back. So Hannibal, for listeners, earbuds, we call them earbuds. But Hannibal, I know you listen to the podcast because sometimes you text me <laughs> and you say, you say, I like that episode so much. And I say, oh, you listen, you know, because we're we're not the biggest show, man. <laughs> no, we have a we have a little pocket of the internet. We have a pocket of really excellent people. We have our great little corner of corner of the internet. But um, we uh, we here at Analyze this uh, love to explain things. Anyway, <laughs> earbuds. Hannibal and I have known each other since we I was ten and he was eleven. We go all the way back to middle school. And then Hannah Gelb met Hannibal when I met her in college. And so we're all three a bunch of pals and pseudo-intellectuals <laughs> who really like to discuss topics <laughs> at length. I will say, Hannibal, you don't know this about me because we've never had this experience, but I hate talking on the phone. I hate it. I'm not a phone talker. Yeah. You're like one of the only people I could have hour-long conversations on the phone with. You know, I feel exactly the same way about you. I can't stand to be on the phone with anyone really ever at all for any reason, except for you. And I feel like we always connect. It's like the 1990s all over again. You know, it is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, oh, and I got to tell you about this. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. It's probably because we don't text that much, you know. Right. And also we do do short phone calls. Like, I'll just call you and mm -hmm. be like, blah. And you're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, this is what's up. And you're like, got it. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm like, you're welcome. Oh, that's Goodbye. beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, even, yeah. Me and Hannah Hart don't even really talk on the phone. Like, sometimes <laughs> I'll try to initiate. Like, Hannah Hart will be like, hey, I got to tell you this fact. And then I got to go. And I'm like, okay, but how is your soul in your mind? And she's like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> 
awesome. That's wonderful. Oh. Yeah, I mean, when you can have a comfortable phone relationship with someone in 2021, uh, you know, it's beautiful because like a lot of people, I look at the phone, I see someone calling, that's a friend, and I'm like, oh, what's wrong? But, (laughs) you know, like what happened? That's really bad. What's today's catastrophe, you know? Is my life about to change forever? But then when I see that it's Hannah Hart, I just pick up right away. I know that it's not going to be anything bad. And it's, it's always a good discussion. That no matter what, we'll be there for each other in whatever we're about to discuss. Yeah. <gasps> oh. 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 Segway. Oh, H- Hannah. Was that a segue? <laughs> As we said before, today we're talking about toxic masculinity. So I thought we could start off with, without looking at any like serious definition, what do we think that term means? Us pseudo-intellectual mid-30s people. <laughs> As someone with the least amount of male things, it, like, you know, I mean, Hannibal, I can count the number of men in my life on one uh, Hannibal-shaped hand. <laughs> well, Alan, too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll say I define toxic masculinity as boys don't cry, mm-hmm. but so much more, you know, question mark. So yeah. I'm going to be the most embarrassed with my definition. No, I think that's a good one. I mean, that's yeah. a great way to sum, up, sum it up. Um, I would say that for me, it's like living by a very rigid and antiquated definition of manliness in a way that can be extremely costly to oneself and, uh, you know, the people around. I would say it is a denying of the human birthright to all spectrum of feelings and emotions and lives. Uh in favor of a, just a very narrow slice of things that you can be and do. Mm. And definitely, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it takes it takes a lot. So it's not like, it's like all of society is supporting this, basically. Like women support it in their own ways. People of all genders and uh, sexuality support it in their own ways. We're going to make space for men today. We're going to make space for cisgender, male, like our preconceived notion of heterosexuality because we don't honestly hear it analyze this. We have, we make a lot of space for all people, but I realized that I don't think I make as much space for the pervasive, you know, um, maleness. And I think it's because I'm falling into my own enforcer of toxic masculinity mentality right and if i'm being honest i would say i've probably spent a good amount of time on this podcast disparaging cis white cis hetero men (laughs) that's not fair (laughs) i need to be a part of the solution and that's not being a part of the solution for my part i feel like toxic masculinity is something that uh you know it's it's tough when you're a guy because a lot of times it happens and you're not even aware of it until after Definitely. you have perpetrated the toxicity. At least that's how it is for me. And I try to carry myself in a certain way. I try to be sensitive. I try to have empathy for people and I still fuck up. So, I mean, I'm glad that we're well, having this discussion. I mean, it all really starts with the relationship that men are, inf- are told to have with their own hearts at such a young and innocent, tender age. Um, to read this quote, this is, comes from Bell Hook's book, The Will to Change Men, Masculinity, and Love. So, learning to wear a mask is the first lesson in patriarchal masculinity that a boy learns. He learns that his core feelings cannot be expressed if they do not conform to the acceptable behaviors sexism defines as male. As to give up the true self in order to realize the patriarchal ideal, boys self boys learn self-betrayal early on and are rewarded for these acts of soul murder. Dude, wow. bell hooks, everyone. Soul, soul murder. murder. Yeah. Uh, wow, she was pretty great. I know I'm not the first person to say that, but yeah, I feel like that's uh, very accurate. That's accurate. You know, you know? I, and I, I feel like, uh, wait, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Hannah. No, no, no. I was ahead. just going to say. Both, we had a whole meeting about how excited we were to do today's episode. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I'm really going to be, I'm really going to try not to to step on Hannah Gelber, talk too much. So This is my, yes, like, Hannah? this for me, like really sums it up. Watching The Little Mermaid as a child when King Triton gets angry at Ariel and then destroys all her stuff, I was like, uh-huh. I wasn't like, what a uh-huh. terrible father! What the fuck? That is so violent and scary and not 
not at all helpful and not like what why not just i was just like "Uh uh-huh that's That's dads that's dads like what the fuck you know anyways i just had to say that (laughs) yeah now i'm just replaying that scene in my mind now it's still quite fresh yeah yeah actually i think i'm i think i'm in shock yeah (laughs) Yeah. honestly if he had been like i just want to really sit down and like explain that i'm just i love you so much and i'm just scared for your person because historically humans want to murder us so i just wanted you to say like maybe the story wouldn't have happened at all she'd been like you know what Mm -hmm. dad you're right i'm gonna just kind of live down here Well, and did, mar- yeah. marry a nice merman. <laughs> you know that they're doing a remake, right? Because yes. that's the thing, right? So the live action uh, Little Mermaid, I think, is something that is happening. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they're going to revise King Triton at all. That's a really good point. Even, Hannibal, I noticed that the way you define toxic masculinity, you de- you described it as an effect you wish not to have on others. Mm-hmm. Watching yourself, controlling yourself. And that in and of itself is also, that is what toxic masculinity taught you to do. Yeah, yeah. God, it's a construct that can't be escaped. Unplug <laughs> <laughs> me from this matrix. <laughs> this is why we want to discuss this topic. And this is why we want to bring it into the analyze this universe. And this is why this is something in myself as a as an ally to those struggling to break free from their own self-imposed slash societal toxic masculinity. Like this is the goal. Bell Hooks implores not just women, not just women to stand up to fight the patriarchy. She explains in clear and no uncertain terms that the patriarchy does its best to harm both men and women by trapping them in rigid, outdated gender roles that limit men's emotional expression and to betray themselves in order to fit into the piece of societal pie. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can speak to basically like the early days of socializing because I think now I try to steer clear from those kind of environments as much as possible and surround myself with like-minded people as much as I possibly can. So I feel like it's not a huge... Yeah, what's that? I said smart. (laughs) I try. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's not like a huge, I feel like it's not a very huge burden. Also, I'm just like more mature now. So it's like, well, I am who I am and I'm comfortable being myself. So I don't really care if I don't conform to your limited ideas of what a man should be. That's me now in my mid thirties, but at, you know, four or five and growing up, uh, no, it wasn't that way at all. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of, uh, policing would be the word of just how you carry your body as a man and you know of course like as a kid hopefully it's much better now but like as a kid in the 90s you know everything was gay and it's like oh well don't do that because it's gay and don't say that because that's gay and you know it's just so much policing of be a hetero masculine ideal at all times and Mm. yeah I remember like as a kid just adjusting myself to like be more comfortable sitting and a a little boy popped out to police my uh, leg crossing and said that uh, you know boys don't cross their legs that way and I was like okay noted I'll never do that ever again or later uh, being told that my voice was too high and that uh, my friend's older brother thought I was a girl when he picked up the phone. So then that turned into a really funny thing that I would do around 11, 12, 13. Anytime I answered the phone, uh, immediately it was, hello, this is uh, Hannibal. Uh, is Sergio there? You know, like that kind of thing. Just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, God. Ridi- you know, it's, I've heard that. I've, I've heard that, too, because... Um, you know, when guys play video games, like they'll be, someone will be speaking in their normal speaking voice and then they'll get on their call of duty or uh-huh. whatever their comms. And they'll be like, they'll be like, hey, can you bring me that bag of chips? Oh, uh, yeah. The uh, rainbow on your chips. <laughs> right. And I'm like, did you just, and in my head, I'm like, did they really just lower their, like, they're behind you. Yeah. And it's like comical because it's like, are you seriously lowering your voice that much? But yeah, it's, a, it's a, that, and it's, it, okay. So here's something that in the definition of how we're going to discuss toxic masculinity today, um, we can really, as guided by the, the research that, that we did in, for, for this show, we can break it into three categories. And I actually think that this first topic we've stumbled onto is in the quote unquote anti-femme category. 
in the that's so gay category. And guys, also remember the 90s? Remember when we would all say? Yeah. Like, believe that. Like, I just can't. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Thank God it's today. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, my God. But anyway, so uh, anything that's the, the anti-femininity. Femininity equals bad. Uh, equals weak. Right. Equals um, is, 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 is not for you. This can include crying or having a voice of a certain octave. It is because it is female or feminine that it is bad. And it, so it also led to in, so many hurtful phrases, you know, like you throw like a girl, which is like, or like, don't be a pussy. Or like in like war movies, they're always like, okay, ladies, let's mm-hmm. like do 50 pushups or stuff like that. It's like the worst insult you can throw at a man is you are womanly in some right. way. Which, which, is, uh, which so makes me mad. Though. <laughs> well, it's confusing to me because how... It does is heterosexuality supposed to work? Oh, well, then? it does in a lot because of the time. Like, <laughs> let me you because well, like Hannibal, I'm really curious. But like this, this feminine traits equaling bad, negative, no, they like this constant mm-hmm. reinforcement of womanly bad. Like, wouldn't that make you hate women? Like, not you personally, yeah. but like, oh, you oh, know, because oh, misogyny is rampant in this country. Sorry, Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, yeah, I would completely agree with that. And yeah, I mean, that is the problem that I think that you become conscious of uh, as you get older, if you are a thinking and hopefully conscientious person that like, oh, the whole premise is like really, really, really ugly when you think about it, which is just this idea that like women are inherently lesser or people who don't men who do not conform to traditional masculine ideals are lesser, that there's just something inherently wrong with what they're doing, and it's inherently worse than what you are. And that's uh, pretty bad, I would say. I mean, I, I feel like... Yeah, I would say that... Sorry, Hannah Hart. No, you're good, Gil. You're totally good, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> well, it's like the umbrella is patriarchal structure, mm-hmm. and we all suffer under that. So... Within the structure of patriarchy, women are lesser. And the establishment of a lesser is then used as a tool to hurt and inform the masculine power structure that is designed to keep everybody... I mean, when you start to like kind of untangle, you're like, whoa, this is really messy and also illogical. It's not rational. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, Dude, that's a really to good have point. the feminine be bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think you're so right, dude. It's really a great way to say it, that it's messy and illogical. And I think that's why people cling to it, because it's easier to have a binary system like that. And to be like, even if you're miserable, you know your place to actually accept that everyone is like a 360 degrees complex human being capable of whatever they want to do is a lot more effort. <laughs> it's just easier to like, like people mm-hmm. cling to the system that is killing us. Like how many times has a, a man been like, well, I'm full of pain. I guess I'll go shoot like a ton of people at once. Like that's real. That was his only option. Like, that right. was seriously what he felt was true. Which brings us to our, this other pillar, which is toughness. Yeah. You know, toughness. So as defined here, and I know I'm being kind of sl- like, I'm not being, I'm not reading it down the list, but one of these definitions is anti-femininity falls into the umbrella. The other one is toughness, physical strength, unemotional, unaffected, and aggressive. Hannibal, you are so gentle to me, you know, you're so you're such a good listener and I I'm curious to ask you what experiences have you had with needing to feel more tough? Because I guess, yeah, it's hard for me even to ask questions. Cause I'm just like, it's so whack. <laughs> it's like, 
Oh, well, thanks for saying that. Um, and I would say that it actually reminds me of something that I didn't mention, and it's so important and can be great for the development of young boys, but also very detrimental for very obvious reasons. And that's team sports. And that's something that mm. I feel like every boy, uh, at least in America, is pushed into, you know, whether it's a good fit for them or not. And like, I certainly was. And I feel like so many of the toxic ideals were kind of taught to me through that. Mm. Can you, what, what sports did you play? Um, so, I mean, all of them as a little kid. As a little kid. And then when I like, so like, you know, basketball, flag football, um, and then there was, you know, track, which is a little bit different. But I'd say really with the team sports, because you have like a bunch of guys around you, there is a lot of encouragement um, to really prioritize toughness above everything else. And then that's where I feel like you really learn that there are just certain things that boys and men cannot do certain ways that they cannot express themselves. Uh, and, and if you do express yourself that way, then you are inferior to the boys and men who do not. What age were you when you started playing team sports? I guess it was, I mean, eight years old. Yeah, I feel like that's when they start with the basketball teams and stuff. So, yeah, I did that. And then, you know, Around middle school, like, I don't know, however many years later that is, four, five, six, I was like, okay, this isn't for me. And like, you know, I'm going to pursue my actual avenues of interest. And it's okay that I don't do sports. But when you're eight and nine, it's harder to have that it's okay that I don't do sports mindset. You just got to throw yourself in and, you know, hope that you're good enough to be respected. So... What do you do with your suffering? I guess like swallow when you... it. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff it way, way down where nobody can find it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like just trying to imagine like eight year old children. Yeah. I mean, you guys know me. I have such a soft spot. Wait, Hannah Gelb, did you play team sports? Actually, I did a little bit. I did soccer. It was not for me. In fact, I have a memory. Yeah. Of, like, I was definitely the kid who was like, oh, a butterfly would, like, wander off the field when, like, mm -hmm. everyone's, like, trying to make a goal. <laughs> uh, I was that kid, too, 100%. Yeah. That was yeah. my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. Oh, yeah, just, uh, okay, anytime I was in the outfield for baseball, yeah, that was a big one. Playing a lot of baseball, hating it every single second, but just feeling like oh. I, I had to do it every single year because, again, like, that's what a boy is supposed to do sports. And yeah, if I was uh, in the outfield, which, you know, I was always stuck in the outfield. They were like, get this kid out of the way. <laughs> How can we make sure that he will not have an impact? Yeah. On outfield this is definitely the most dreamy position yeah. in any sport. I feel it's literally like, yeah, you're like, I'm so far away. Everyone's so small. Maybe exactly. if the ball comes this way, I have to run. It's just a great time to like, just like <laughs> think about <Yeah>. things. <laughs> No, to, yeah, I would daydream, literally look at butterflies. You know, if you're a kid, right, you're probably on a massive field where there's other games going on. And it's like, oh, what's going on in that game? That kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, What logo did that Little League team choose? Yeah. What color combination do they have? What's our colors again? <laughs> yeah. la, la, la. I was also always hungry, too. I remember that. And I was like, oh, what, what snack am I going to have after this? That's so great. Yeah, you were hungry because they forced you to do sports all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm a reader. <laughs> I'm yes. a growing boy. Oh, yes, a reader. I'm growing my brain. Well, developmentally, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a scientist. As I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. But I would presume that developmentally, allowing children to eat and sleep when their body is telling them to, um, I think that should be more accepted, you know, yeah. this, this rigidity that we have about, I mean, they really, society gets into our heads pretty young, everybody, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and then it just doesn't stop. It's like day after day after day after day, you're like, oh yeah, I gotta like, oh, get that, put that like filter up, but it's hard, man. It is hard. Yeah. Uh, it is hard. Yeah. Um, so there's one more section I'd like to, to speak to. Um, but I think this one is pretty brief because I really want to get to you to the shocker that I thought was like, wow. Um, mm. So power, uh, social status, 
financial power, having power and respect of others, having others respect towards you. Not that you respect other people, Lord, no, <laughs> but that people respect you because you have so much power because you have financial power or social power. That's a pillar of toxic masculinity as well. Oh my God. That's like, and sorry. Donald Trump is like a walking textbook example of toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which is yeah. so ironic because everyone like looking at him, you're like, you are a buffoon. <laughs> like no one mm-hmm. thinks some people think you're very cool, but it, it, yeah. Well, this is something that's so entirely, I think, outside of your control in so many ways. We are all assigned power by society at birth based on our socioeconomic status, based on our our race, based on our physical abilities. So to make a marker of whether or not you are manly or your very manhood, something outside of your control, you know, I think it doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, it, it really doesn't work. And, you know, it's, uh, I will say something that I do think about all the time. And, you know, it is a really big problem with being a guy, I think, uh, is that it does get drilled into your head that you are kind of supposed to be dominant, right? In all situations, that you are supposed to be the most powerful person in any uh, social interaction that you might have. And that if that is not the case, if someone has power over you or demonstrates that they are higher on the power hierarchy in some way, uh, and especially if that person is a woman, then something very catastrophic has happened. You know, you've been emasculated, you've been castrated, (laughs) and you must be very self-conscious if you are not the dominant force in any social situation. And, and I think that's that that's so one of those things. That's so much pressure. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And it's one of those things that I just think like, once it's learned, it's very, very hard to unlearn because it's reinforced from all directions. Um, and yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of women will do it too, where it's kind of like, yes, I expect you to be this. And if you're not, it's not attractive or it's a disappointment to me. And, you know, again, that's not really an issue now. Um, But I would say that in my early 20s, you know, I would kind of run up against that sometimes. And so I would just be like, okay, well, I guess I have to be more of a, you know, take control asshole, basically. Or I will not be thought of as uh, appealing or as sexy or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well you're so sexy oh thank you oh gosh, that's that, really all of that the whole speech was just so i could hear those words so <laughs> thank you i would yeah, even you're so sexy i would even go the sexiest <laughs> <laughs> oh absolutely thank you very much. um thank you <laughs> i remember once i was at a party years ago hannah hart in la with you and hannibal was there and i was like feeling shy and weird and hannibal was like let's go for a little walk and i was like Oh my gosh, will you marry me? I mean, I didn't say that, but I was like, what? This is exactly what I needed in this moment. Very sexy. Yeah, and if you're trying to establish power over everybody, you can't go for a walk. Instead, you have to ruin everybody's night and break all of Ariel's statues. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I think you could even, you could even, you can argue toxic masculinity is playing a huge role in our destruction of the climate and like like this stage of capitalism we're in like instead of just saying wow we made a mistake this is not a direction we should be going in anymore let's all work together to, for the good of everyone it seems like there's a couple of dudes who are like well i have an ego so you will all die for it like yeah it's so bonkers Can- and and like the problem with reducing men and women and anyone to several characteristics, it, it, it stops people from becoming their whole selves who can then really help out. Like it, it stops us from solving problems and like, you know, it just keeps people trapped. And it's like, we don't have time to be trapped. Yeah. Okay. There's like not going to be any water. 
in like 50 years. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> I think about that every day. Uh, the, the, yes, yes. And okay, guys, this is the thing I was going to tell you. Okay, everyone. I say guys a lot. Um, <laughs> okay, everyone. Here's the thing I was going to tell you that absolutely blew my mind. Okay. So in these pillars, right, of, of toxic masculinity, this toughness, this anti-feminine, this have power. Like, if these are the pillars that, that, infor- that inform what toxic masculinity should be, one might assume that it would arrive at being a provider, a caretaker of having all this pressure to help the community around you. But actually, one of the t- traits that, that um, trickles down from these effects is a sense of anti-helpfulness, that you are not a helper, that you do not intervene, that you don't, like in instances of sexual assault, so many men are like, well, it's not my problem. I mean, oh yeah, I don't know. I can't control him. Like, it's that it leads to men who view themselves as more masculine are less likely to engage in what researchers call helping behavior. That means that the more masculine a man defines himself, they are less likely to intervene when they witness bullying <clears throat> or assault. Yeah. Well, Does that, that shocked me. That shocks me too, actually. I wasn't aware of that. Right. It's like helping in a very, you can silently from a distance provide money for your goodly wife and children. <laughs> and like, yeah. and then retire to your room to smoke a cigar. But like, <laughs> but like, having a hand in the day-to-day or like, yeah, stepping in when it's uncomfortable. Picking up the dishes. Mm -hmm. Like, or, I mean, you know, Hannibal, does that that resonate with you? Like, I feel like if I reflect on thinking about people who I believe, who who have shown in many ways that being perceived as masculine is a goal in their life, Uh those people also are not helpful people. And are right. they happy? I don't know. But Hannibal, yeah. does this, so this, this shocked you too, right? It shocked yeah, you. yeah. And then really I was just thinking about it uh, over the course of the last like minute or so. And I was just like, oh, I mean, does it kind of go back to this weird concept of, well, I'm the man, you know, really back to kind of like, you know, caveman Flintstone times where it's like, I'm the man, I leave, I go out and I hunt. And that is the real work. That is the hard work. And when I come back home, I don't need to lift a finger because I've done the real stuff. And I feel like that's an attitude that a lot of men still have today. Like I go out, I slay the beast, I generate the income that supports us if I am in fact the breadwinner. And because of that, you know, I have license to not really help out with child care or, you know, certain things like that that are the uh, traditionally the woman's domain. Right. Or if I'm on the way to slay the beast and I see three people being crushed under something. Yeah. It's not my problem. Like, right. I they weren't no, strong I, enough. The, the, <laughs> they were. Yes. <laughs> if they had been strong. But doesn't that really, I mean, Hannah, this speaks to exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk about um, some of these larger societal effects that happen as a result of toxic masculinity. But this really reminded it, uh, you bringing up the climate and these decisions that we need to make and this, these like cooperation that we're not engaging in, it does play into this non helper, not helpfulness. And Hannibal, I think like you hit the nail on the head. It comes from perceiving anyone suffering in need or in tragedy as being weak. And if you, and they just thereby deserving of their plight. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get close to them because they might get the weakness all over you. You know, you want to put a big distance between you and them. Yeah. You don't want to get infected. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're going to put some distance between us and this topic by taking a, a quick break. And we'll be right back after this. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Back now, before we resume our conversation, uh, gentle listeners, I am going to read something again because I mean, there's a lot when you start to research or put research into toxic masculinity, its characteristics, and its effects. There's a lot to say and a lot to discover, and thankfully, uh, resources and conversations out there so that we can start to help each other to, to help to help each other progress, you know. That men aren't left out of that conversation just because they've been made the figurehead of this destructive force. You know? Can't leave them behind. So here's me reading this. Toughness. Toughness can mean ignoring the signals your body is giving you or even actively pursuing more risk. From a mental health perspective, this is pretty dangerous. In the U.S., we start socializing boys to conform to masculine ideals early on, which means we are not helping those kids develop the tools they will need to regulate their emotions and interact with others in healthy ways. This leads to men being left out of the mental health equation. Hannibal... What makes you want to be alive inside? What makes you want to fight the good fight? Like, what, what influences in your life are, are helping you, not saying like, this is Hannibal, he's going to be our guy that's like really overcome toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Not by a long shot. <laughs> actually, I think the more we look into it, the more we'll discover. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually the most toxic of all, Hannibal. this is an intervention actually (laughs) well you know what's it like when dudes try and talk to dudes man about stuff and obviously you have known lots of men and have had many friend male friendships and and whatnot but if you could give us like a little bit of of insight into that Mm -hmm. you know I've never been in a man-on-man conversation, you know? Right. Boy, yeah. wish I could be a fly on the wall sometimes. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, trust me. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. I mean, I again, I, I, I keep, like, kind of uh, putting forth this caveat, but I do feel like all this stuff is a lot easier now, you know, and a lot of my, like, male peers, you know, they're, like, recently... Easier for you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easier, yeah, easier for me now. Um with a lot of male peers, you know, being like recently married and like having their first children and stuff like that. And so I do think that that kind of makes you a little bit more, a little bit more considerate. I mean, there's plenty of asshole fathers out there, obviously, and always will be, uh, sadly. But I do think that that kind of helps when you have a family a little bit in general, that at least that's what I've observed. But, you know, when, that's in the distant future, you know, when you're a teenager, when you're in your 20s. Well, then, yeah, I mean, a lot of man to man conversation, I guess, in retrospect, now that I'm thinking about it, not very healthy stuff, you know, and, and so much of it is just centered around kind of uh, conquering what you can conquer uh, socially and also, of course, with women and you know all of those cliches of just valuing like how many women can you sleep with how many notches can you put on the belt that kind of thing and not really caring about anyone else's feelings outside of your own 
and actually that it is a sign of weakness to care about someone else's feelings. Um, including your own. Yeah, yeah, including right. your own. Yeah, yeah, and that you just have to kind of push yourself through whatever pain you're feeling and uh, disregard it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and maybe bury that uh, with, you know, you can whatever you can find in a bottle, you know? I mean, that's like the, the ultimate cliche, but I mean, yeah, that's kind of this whole idea of like drinking and drugs really to numb uh, what you're feeling. And that is preferable to talking about what you're feeling. Yeah, that's something that I've, that I've observed quite a bit. I mean, God, it just sounds so lonely. I just can't it's imagine. Pursuit of power, yeah. Like, even though I am afraid all the time of dying alone on the street with cats in a bag, like, <laughs> of being useless as an older woman, I'm still like, oh, but thank God I can hug my friends and rest my head upon their bosom and like cry and like <laughs> it just mm -hmm. it just sounds yeah when when does that get taught <laughs> like when do like i'm genuinely curious why don't boys hug each other no that's a tough one though uh because i honestly don't know i i don't know i i have no good answer for that question it's just the thing that you don't do again it's like it's a it's too close i mean i don't know i mean maybe it's it's honestly just oh it, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you want to you want to look avoid at him a, verbal processing from your perspective. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to avoid a, a, I don't know. What's what's the way to put this? That's uh, you just don't want any dicks touching, right? <laughs> <laughs> what if there's an inadvertent dick touch when you hug? You know then what? What does that mean? Then, then what? what? Exactly. Then what? What if you like, what if you kind of liked it? What if you enjoyed it a little bit? Oh my God. Whoa. Never. I had. What if you enjoyed it, but also still like women? What if sexuality is a spectrum? What if power is a false construct? Like, why would really, so, so boys hugging and the accidental perhaps dick touch, it really makes this whole thing fall apart, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you remember as a boy? When you were told not to hug See, or stop hugging or shamed or that's a weird thing because I think I feel like it's it's almost deeper than that in a weird way and I wish that I had a great answer because it's not like I wanted to go around hugging other boys and then I was told that I couldn't it you know mm. it's a little bit different from like when you're a little boy like you want to cry when you feel like crying right and that's not really a big deal and then you're told or you just observe really that like, that's just not really acceptable. Um, but I didn't feel like a great need growing up to like hug people that weren't my family. And then it wasn't really until honestly, like middle school where you start like hugging peers quite a bit that I think it becomes more of an issue because then, you know, you're all, of course, like beginning to lead into your life of having sexual relationships with other people. So, uh, that physical contact of um, contact of the hug, uh, that's kind of like a ramp up at that age, mm. potentially to something else. So like if you hug a girl, it means something, right? And that's why you can't hug a boy. Does that make sense? Oh, that, yeah. It does. I've never thought about it that way before. I think that's what it was for me. In a whack way, man. Yeah. And this is what puts all the pressure on women in relationships to be like the mother, lover, therapist, everything, because that's a lot of energy being, and that's a lot of energy yeah. to pent, to reserve. Yeah. And I mean, it's just funny because, yeah, when I go back to my like middle school self, you know, like, yeah, you're starting to get like really attracted to girls. Like you're starting to think things that you weren't thinking just a few years before, right? And so uh, the opportunity to hug someone that is female when you're a guy, that's a thrill. And so that thrill has to be reserved for heterosexual interaction, right? It kind of opens up that there's this whole missing section of what it means to feel connected to your community that I think I'm slowly understanding men are institutionally denied, un structurally denied, until, quote unquote, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, they have a family uh -huh. and start to have a family. Now, 
from my perspective of as someone who seeks progress in our society and fairness and evolution, to reserve emotional development for when you have procreated more humans right. is ridiculous. Kind of wild. It is. Yeah. I'm, it's like, you know what I'll do? I'll learn all my lessons on this baby. <laughs> well, that's allowable. That's, that's, it's yeah. like you're allowed emotions at the Super Bowl when your firstborn <laughs> arrives in the world. Like that is, that feels acceptable. And mm. it's not, it's not acceptable at other times. It's right. so wild. Yeah. And I think that the other thing about it that's kind of crazy is that, you know, I guess technically, and I feel like most men don't think of it this way, even though this is what's going on. But deep down, you're kind of like, okay, I have a wife or a child now. I have acquired, right? I've acquired mm. the woman that is my uh, property, I guess, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't have to be out there on the hunt anymore. And so I can sort of disregard certain tools now uh, that I needed when I was a single guy. Let me see if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah. The, the control tools to present the false masculine ideal, mm -hmm. the control tools, the control mechanism of toughness and anti-feminine and power, right? Once you have a, acquired a woman and have created a child, it's like this is your opportunity now to let those go. And then you are now this massively underdeveloped, you're, you are a child still, emotionally. Your emotional intelligence quotient has not, has not kept up at the same pace as your actual literal adult life and responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was saying. That's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really how I would just sum it up, where it's like, oh, okay, these tools, um, they can go back in the, in the back pocket or whatever, uh, until I have to pull them out again to teach my son how to be, you know? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> but this is so, and then it's like, but then what's the plan, yeah. man? Like, I, I see that there's two, there's two par parts in this that just don't connect for me. And then Hannah's got a really great question. And Hannah, I'll <laughs> wind down this thought. But it just is like, there's two things I, I really want to make clear to all human beings who procreate. Your child is not your epiphany. They have nothing to do with you. They don't owe you shit. Your child is not... You do not learn parenting by infantilizing yourself because your child is here now. And it's like, oh, well... I have these new responsibilities and obviously I don't know how to increase my capacity for growth because I've been using these tools of control my entire life. You know what? I'll learn on this kid and in, in partnership. I think that's how it goes so, a lot of the time. I think you just summed up. That. Yeah, you just summed up like kind of the yeah. history of civilization. Yeah. But I think also, you know, it, it's... Does it make you guys feel upset too? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But I want to give, you know, I want to give people a little more credit because I think it's not black and white, like zero, zero feelings, zero evolution, zero independent thought. Child, like I'm sure there's, there's probably areas that are very stagnant that need work when a child comes along, you know, or a serious relationship. But I think, uh, I, 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 I guess I... I like to imagine that everyone's doing their best. <laughs> Hannibal, do you think everyone's doing their best? Yeah, I, I think that everyone thinks that they're doing their best, honestly, for the most part. I have a, a, a kind of a silly question for you, Hannibal. I know you're a professional watcher of TV, and yeah. you even have had, uh, you hosted a podcast about The Sopranos in the past. I oh, you were talking about toxic masculinity. <laughs> well, oh that God. leads me... I would love to know what your favorite toxic masculine characters are. I think that's an awesome question. Uh, and yeah, I mean, all of the really bad uh, Emmy award winning anti-heroes of the, you know, <laughs> early 2000s. All right. So, yeah, I mean, Tony Soprano would be number one. I mean, he's probably my favorite character ever. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's as toxic 
as it gets and he's a murderer and a cheater but i just think he's like a beautifully written character and like was executed really well by the actor who played him mm-hmm. and yeah great show um okay walter white very obvious right mm. again uh oh man i mean he's more like arguably more toxic than tony in a way because with walter it was really about like oh people have been emasculating me my whole life spoiler alert <laughs> um, breaking bad but breaking yeah. bad <laughs> i mean it's been off the air for a while now but uh yeah sorry um yeah feel free for spoiling but yeah you know walter white was very much like i've been walked on my entire life i've been emasculated my entire life and now i'm finally making a very strong stand by becoming a violent kingpin who sells Ooh. drugs and so that's really, really super toxic. And, and that's actually, you know, that I feel like that's a great gateway to to a big issue that a lot of guys deal with that sort of like, well, I'm going to be I'm going to do damage now. And it's OK because of the bad thing that happened to me in the past. Mm, right. And even as an audience, I feel like we still enjoy that trajectory because we all have a little bit of that darkness, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, and then now to cite a more recent example, I guess you got uh, Logan Roy on Succession, arguably the antagonist of that series. You know, he's the patriarch, uh, but a great character. Again, played very well and always fascinating to me. But then I also always say like, wow, if this kind of person was in my life, I would I would live in terror, which is why I'm he's glad so that he's so mean. Yeah. So mean to his yeah. own and, and for progeny. those listening who aren't familiar with the show <laughs> Succession, it's based on a, a family, uh, a media family. So think Fox conglomerate, Viacom, com, like think the major, ma- clear, water, clear channel, um, major, major media conglomerate family. Uh, and he has uh, his four children. And Logan Roy is the head of the family and the owner of the company and his children male and female, um, both vie for his love, attention, and approval, and ultimately his power. Mm-hmm. So uh, Hannibal, I think Logan Roy is a really great example. I'd say probably Don Draper as well. Yeah. I, I think that what kind of makes these figures stand out, you know, and Logan Roy in succession also dying, you know, also very, mm-hmm. is getting sick and, you know, blah, 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 um, is that what we're actually being shown are what is fueling the traits Mm-hmm. that makes these characters act these ways, which are antithetical to the traits of toxic masculinity. So it's it's the internal world that we're benefiting from seeing with these anti-hero archetypes. So when I think of who, what is truly a toxic masculinity figure, I would say it has to be the hero, like our idea of a, of a, of a hero, of a, like, ha-ha, mm-hmm. of Superman, you know, of Superman. Right, so just mm-hmm. a, a cardboard person. Captain America. Yeah, that's a really good point, Hannah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it actually kind of reminds me of something. I was talking to a professional screenwriter once, and he was complaining about uh, this movie that we had seen. And he, I just remember he said, you know, you have to think about who has to look weak in a story so that the hero can look strong. And I had never thought about stories that way. And yeah, it was kind of mind blowing. And then I was like, oh, wow, so many of the things that like I've grown up loving so many of the stories that I've consumed that have inspired me to become a storyteller in my own way myself. Oh, there's a lot of like kind of insidious threads, uh, insidious currents running through those things. When I think about Walter White and Tony Soprano and and Don Draper is that they we see them in relation to the world around them. Mm -hmm. And so when, for me, when I think about toxic masculine characters, it's, it's characters that I see in a silo, that I see as perfect, infallible, strong, power, like has resources. It's that godliness, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, wow. That's what I like. And everyone around them carries the flaws yeah. to make them look great. Yeah. That's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. No, yeah, and that's an interesting thing, really. I mean, because I always forget about Mad Men, which is funny, because I loved that show, and I've seen every episode. And uh, Hannah Hart, uh, I remember you and I would talk about that show a lot when it was running. Uh, We were huge fans. And I weirdly always forget about it now, not because it hasn't aged well or anything. It's just, I don't know. But 
I feel like Draper is a really interesting character because he was in an era that we think we've moved past in a lot of ways. Mm. And he was acting accordingly for that era. And what mm. I think is interesting, and I think probably part of what the show was saying was that all this stuff still exists. It's just more under the surface, but it's still fully there, 100%. Mm. I mean, if society could just look in the mirror, man, wouldn't that be so wonderful? And I, I, you know? I agree with you, Hen Hart. Like, I think this show kind of shows us the pain that those ideals cause, but you know, Don does not seem to escape them. (laughs) (laughs) And those are like the dads of our dads. Those guys on Mad Men. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, We're going to take one one more break and then we're going to jump back and wrap up and thank Hannibal for our time. But uh, while we take this break, um, please enjoy these ads. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, maybe that one wasn't my best, guys. I know, it's still very good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. Hello, hello. Um, wow. I am like filled with thought right now. I would like to say like, you know, Hannibal, I want you to come on this show all the time so we can talk about things because I love talking with you. Um, you know, we have a whole other topic here, uh, but I have to pee. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> can I pee real quick? And then we'll get into it again. I'm the man and I say no. You can't pee. <laughs> no, please. Can I have your permission? You know what? You two can t- continue to talk. I'm. Ca- Ooh, I'll be able to okay. jump right back in. Okay. Uh, so yes. just keep talking. All We're right. live. We're live, people on air. But yes. I gotta pee. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what I'm thinking is a good. We don't have to talk about this, obviously, but something yeah. that comes up when uh, people get married is like. The man's like, well, I'll show up and that's my job. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. a lot of the planning, the like colors, like et cetera, et cetera, fall to the mm-hmm. woman. But like my sister is like, she wouldn't accept any opinions of her husband. She'd be like, no one cares mm-hmm. and your opinion doesn't matter. This is like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is I my wish job. Sam was like that almost. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like I actually don't want to be super involved in the planning of the wedding um, mm-hmm. because I just don't like logistics in general. <laughs> Me neither. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's something that like I recognize that I should be uh, involved in and will appreciate after the fact. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like this is really an outgrowth of the fact that I don't even like to plan parties like at mm. my apartment. You know what I mean? Right. But then once everyone's here, I'm happy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I invited people over. I'm so glad that I went to this or that or whatever. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know. It's also weird, too. I mean, this is another thing where it's like, you know, if we can steer it in a serious direction, you know, guys, I don't think are are taught to guys are taught to uh, never like imagine their wedding, too. Or guys are yeah. not taught. Why? You know what I'm saying, right? They're not taught to aspire to marriage the same way women are. I mean, I think they're like, yeah, aspire to marriage. But for women, it's like, oh, then you're just, (laughs) you are set. Mm -hmm. Like you've, you're good. Your goal is to become a marriable object. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you don't, you don't think about like your wedding growing up when you're a boy. I mean, at least I didn't. Uh, you just don't think about it at all. It's not something you're not encouraged to. Yeah, it's not something that I thought about or really pictured until I literally proposed to someone. And even then, it took me a long time to be like, "Oh, what's the actual literal wedding going to be?" It's kind of <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's a struggle. 
it's a it's a struggle and it's a control mechanism to to remove the daydream you mm-hmm. know or like the freedom to daydream about significant moments in your life and the all idea of like well women are taught to dream about their weddings because after i mean that's it for them right, right. like after and that can i just say it's so unfair that men uh, this is changing now, but it's really unfair that men don't have to go to wedding showers and baby showers because those are like the oh most insufferable, like, <laughs> oh my God, hor- like if you're at a wedding shower of someone you like kind of know and you don't really know their friends, it's, it's like, I would like rather be at the dentist, to be honest. It's, I oh mean, it's so painful and all, like the games, like it, it just all it completely supports the like dichotomy of like man woman like it's it, yeah mm-hmm. it's ugh. and also so much you stuff know, we, you have to like get stupid streamers stupid cards and plates and cups and anyways yeah yeah no I mean it I, I feel kind of bad hearing you say that honestly because I definitely <laughs> feel like you know I have to sort of admit that I have sort of used this construct as a way of getting out of certain events. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure. I, I don't have I to mean, go to that. I'm a guy. I, I mean, what? I pro- what? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't be right for me to be there. Yeah. If I was in your position, you know? I would probably do the same. And I'm sure there are tons of people out there who, like, love a shower or a baby of any kind mm. and just love getting together. But, yeah, I feel that, that does... The community connection does seem to, like, fall for, to women to, like uphold uh which can be good and bad blessing and a curse two sides to every coin you know you know what has more than two sides though all oh and an edge um (laughs) of all all of gender and life experience people gonna people people gonna people and the more we start to remove these self-imposed like societally imposed limitations on how a person is allowed to person would is going the more we remove those, the freer we can all become. And then hopefully less destructive, less destructive to the planet, less destructive to ourselves, less destructive to each other. Mm. You know, for all of our listeners who fall into the, the cisgender heterosexual category of life, which is a beautiful category of life, I would, I invite you as a queer person, I invite you to go and explore those constructs, you are welcome to remove the binary aspects of your own life and your own relationship, even if you do identify as a person of a certain gender of malehood, you know, or femalehood. It, it, that will, your, your relationship to your body will not be jeopardized, you know, but you might find that you're going to be able to broaden your connections to yourself and to the world around you if you make room for expanding ideals even if your chunk of society um doesn't have to fight for them you could still benefit from it (laughs) you probably would yeah yeah i wonder how can we really help people (laughs) get you know make people ready for something like that like how would you make everybody ready because like i think people are so threatened by other things because they're like Oh my God, that I could possibly see that in myself, and that is like unacceptable. You know, that's my whole theory of homophobia. People are like, if you're gay, it's a part of toxic. I, I, I was shocked to find out. I was shocked to find, but Hannibal, dicks can't touch. Right. Yeah, why can't I hug my male friends? Well, because what if our dicks touched? Right. You know, I really, I, I know I sound so ignorant, but I've had no idea how deep the roots of toxic masculinity go. I had no idea that it was much more about the internal world for a man, not much less about how they behave, like the internal world and how they behave, but really internally the, the self suppression, the isolation, the, the swallowing, the swallowing. Mm -hmm. And there is no pooping that out. You're just swallowing it. Or just real painful you know? so, poops real bad. But the, it doesn't leave you. Yeah. It doesn't leave you. And those painful you poops eat, are you... mass shootings. And yeah. Yes. Things like that. Yeah. Things like that. Ma- yes, exactly. You know, so I, I, 
I appreciate you so much, Hannibal, for coming on the show and taking some time to kind of like scratch the surface with us. And I hope that you'd feel comfortable to come back to it because I, I think that there's so much more we can unpack about this and so much more space we can make. Um, but I would really love to invite our listeners, if any of this has surprised you or resonated with you, go start to look into toxic masculinity or the binary understanding of gender roles. Even if you feel comfortable and safe and la 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 and everything's good, don't worry, you're going to be fine. But it might open some doors for you, you know, internally. And I think that Bell... All those locked rooms in your heart. Oh, the locked rooms, the hallways, the darkened trap doors. Uh, Gelby, I can see you looking at the outline. Oh, yes. Well, I wanted to say, I think that Bell Hooks book is a great place to start for anybody. The, um, the will to change men, masculinity, and love. It's a yeah. very, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with it. Uh, this was such an awesome conversation, and I love talking to you guys. I mean, I realize that every single time that I talk to you both, but uh, <laughs> I'm really realizing it now. And uh, yeah, I hope that I can come back at some point and we can talk about something else. Yeah, we should have like just a nerdy... Nerdy stuff only. We should just have. Yeah. We should just roll you into the show, man. We just need to do a monthly segment called "What Are We Watching? Yeah. Why Did It Break Us?" Yeah. Uh, I could talk about Arcane, which was so. I just really let myself enjoy it, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, it's great." So happy. Yeah. Um, but Hannibal, if people want to find more of you, I know you like me are also an anonymous. Well, like the real me, mm-hmm. but you're not on the social medias. Um, but is there anything that you would like to? Uh, we talked about your show. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. I mean, I would say uh, please check out American Scandal. Uh, it's everywhere that podcasts are, and uh, I write for that, and I enjoy it. And from what I understand, there's a lot of people who enjoy it too. So uh, check it out if you feel like it. Check it out if you're bored. If you feel like it. <laughs> Otherwise, just wait, wait with anticipation for Hannibal to come back on Analyze This, which will be soon. Yeah, hopefully, which will, which be, will soon. be soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Hannah Gelb, where, if people want to find you more on the internet, where can people find you? People can find me at Pod on Twitter and also Hizzlegizzle, where I say more personal, embarrassing things. Please come and say hi yes, to me. I love talking to everybody. Yes, yes, yes. And if you want to uh, speak with us directly, you can also become a patron of this podcast by going to patreon.com slash analyze this. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-Z-E-T-H-I-S. Please, earbuds, earbuds, uh, send us your thoughts about the gender divide, uh, its effect on mental health, or any resources that you found when discussing systemic uh, pollution in the gender spectrum. I'm going to go do some push-ups because I've gotten all hot under the collar thinking about society. Nothing gets me going like that. Okay, <laughs> listeners, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great day. Have a great day.